This is Isaka's Page 2 Podcast. Thanks everyone for joining us today. I'm Kevin Key, Isaka's IT Professional Practices Lead. Joining me is Donald Say, Head of Cyber and Technology Risk at Mox Bank. He is here to chat about his recently released Isaka Journal article titled, Cybersecurity and Technology Risk in Virtual Banking. Donald, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. So before we dive in to your article, why don't you give us a little background about yourself and your experience for our audience? Cool. Um, yeah, so my name is Donald. So currently I'm the head of cyber and technology risk in Mox Bank, which is the first virtual bank in Hong Kong. Before joining Mox, I was with a few investment banks. I was with Deutsche Bank in Credit Suisse in Nomura. So I started out my career uh, with Deloitte doing IT risk advisory as well as IT audit. So I do hold a few ISACA um, qualifications like CISA, uh, System, um, and CDPSE, right? So I mean, um, I'm really excited to walk you through as to how we view this uh, virtual bank and to how to convey the digital trust element to our customers and our regulators. Awesome. So let's get right into it. So what is a virtual bank and how is it different from a traditional bank? Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it actually raises a lot of questions to a lot of different people as to how different is a virtual bank to a traditional bank. Um, I think a lot of us do use the services in the traditional banking situation, um, like in the retail banking, you use your credit card, you use your deposit accounts. So how is it different? Is um, And all of these traditional banks do have some kind of online element. There is an online banking, you do have the digital app. So how is it different is that um, for a virtual bank, it only has an online only channel to provide banking services to our customers. So that is one of the key differences, which is for the fact that we don't have any physical branches. So that is how we can, how we started to convey our different customer experience that integrates all lifestyle needs in one retail banking platform. So, for example, here in Mox, which is a joint venture of Standard Chartered, HKT, PCCW, and Trip.com, which basically is the leaders in banking, in telecommunications, in lifestyle, and travels within the region. So, um, that is how we make a difference as to we provide a brand new customer experience to our customers, as well as to bring changes to the banking ecosystem as a whole. Yeah, so that is on a high level, that is how we make a difference in terms of customer experience and what we provide. Um, but what is underneath is the technology stack is different as well as the regulatory expectation is also different. Um, so specifically, for example, in terms of our IT strategy, for a lot of the virtual banks, uh, we build on a cloud-only uh, platform, we adopt a cloud-first strategy. So compared to a lot of the traditional banks, which have a physical service, which has a legacy infrastructure. So we do not have that problem. And based on the fact that we are so cloud native, that would bring us a lot of benefits, such as scalability when we want to um, launch new products, to have extreme uh, growth in terms of customers or geographical lo locations, expansion. So that is the factor that is supporting us to just grow even faster and deliver even faster than ever before. So that's one of the way that is different in terms of what's behind the scene is the tax stack. The other difference that I could think of is the ways of working. 
So in a lot of the virtual banks, including Mox, we adopt an agile delivery model um, against the traditional waterfall model that would embrace a faster delivery process um, so we can bring more new services, new products to our customers, as well as we can fix issues even faster. So that is another way that we, we are different. In terms of our regulators, the regulatory expectation is also different where I walk you through, walk you all through later, right? And in terms of the culture, it's also quite different as in we embrace a more innovative environment and it's always a little bit of, um, of an art as to how you can be innovative, but then you, at the same time, you're also being safe and secure and you make that promise to your customers as well. And the last one that I can think of is uh, how we do our cyber defense and our risk management approach. We use a lot of, uh, based on the above differences, as you can think of right now, is that we have a different technology, we have different processes, we have different people. So the ways that we defend our position is also very different. We use a lot of advanced um, technology, uh, like artificial intelligence and machine learning capabilities, just to make sure that the cyber defense is always on 24-7. But then based on all these differences that we have um, in terms of customer experience, the people, the process, the technology, but what is um, still common between the traditional bank that we always use, we've always been using, and the virtual bank is that we, we're here to protect our customers' um, money as well as their data, where uh, we want to deliver a safe and secure bank. So that is baseline uh, to both banks as a whole. Yeah. Awesome. So we touched on a few differences and, and you mentioned the cyber risk involved, but I'm wondering if you could expand a little bit of the complexity and challenges of cyber and tech risks in virtual banks. Yeah. So, I mean, um, in terms of the complexity and the challenges, I think it comes from both internal and external. Just setting the scene is that in the virtual bank environment, cybersecurity and technology risk is actually very important compared to traditional banks. Compared to traditional banks, actually we're facing even more of these challenges because we're only having one channel to communicate with our customer, which is all online. And then we're also having a, the backdrop of that, um, where it's usually a more high profile target for all these stakeholders or cyber criminals that they may want to have an attack against us. For the challenges that we face, uh, I've touched a bit on the external part and there's also a bit of an inter internal part as well. For the internal part that is actually, uh, first of all, is coming from the technology stack that we have because um, usually for a lot of the virtual banks, then we use a lot of the cloud technology as well as the different set of vendors. So there is basically a lot of the technology elements that you have to protect, you have to secure. So it's a larger IT asset estate that you have to maintain. So that is the inherent challenge to us. And then the other ch internal challenge we have is how we can cultivate a more cyber or risk aware culture. It's based on the fact that from our experience, we do have a very diverse background from people from all walks of life. Um, it could be somebody who has been working in a bank for 20 years, or it could be somebody who is actually a fresh graduate, or it could be somebody who is actually coming from the banking industry. Um, so there's a little bit of an education in, in the process as to how important it is to 
make sure that the regulations are being complied with, as well as how to have that cybersecurity and risk mindset to be in place when we are building the products, um, making all the technology changes. So these are all the internal challenges that we have. Uh, I'll expand a little bit on the external part as well. It's because, um, for one, like I've mentioned, um, it's, a new, it's a new license, it's a new bank. Um, so typically it's a high profile target for a lot of the cyber criminals so that uh, we may face a little bit more of the cyber attacks than uh, the traditional ones. And then the, having the only way to communicate with our customers, which is on the app that we have, uh, everything is done on the fingertips. So that is another challenge. And then another one that I would like to mention, which is on the external side, is on how, uh, how we can manage our regulatory expectations as well. It's based on the fact that it's, the regulators are generally more conservative, but then uh, there has been a little bit of uh, regulatory reform and progression that's happened throughout the last decade. But then for, for time being, how, to, how we can manage our regulatory um, expectation and their regulatory scrutiny is also another challenge that we have because some of the regulations that have been in place for a long, long time, like they've been here for 20 years, but then it's still set the same set of rules and regulations that we have to comply with. But then for cloud technology, it's never been such so prevalent. Um, nobody has been adopting cloud, cloud technology in such a speed. So how we can convey those cloud controls and apply them to the existing, fulfill the existing set of rules and regulations is another challenge that we have. Yeah, so I mean, it's a bit of uh, internal challenges, external challenges. So it's never easy to build a bank from scratch. But then um, we do have stuff like uh, risk framework with their controls in place just to make sure that everything is safe and secure. It's actually better than the, uh, a lot of the existing ones, I would say. Awesome. So to build more on cyber, specifically your cyber uh, strategy. So how do you develop that and make sure it fits and it's a in alignment with the tech risk framework. Yeah, so I mean, um, I, I actually did write another uh, blog post on this one, um, which is uh, how we can practically, or the steps that we can practically implement um, uh, a fit, fit for purpose cyber and tech risk framework in, in an organization. So I, I there, I've identified seven steps against it. So for one, uh, which is to, under, you have to understand your environment, and then you have to establish the senior management buy-in, um, setting clear guiding principles, uh, utilize your regulatory environment, adopt an agile ways of working, um, perform risk assessments, and to cultivate a risk-aware culture. So I'll touch on them one by one uh, just a little bit. So, I mean, the first step that we have, I have identified is to know your environment. I think it's, it's quite inherent to a lot of the risk managers who are listening to this one, basically. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we have the business, we have to understand what's the value that's being created to our customers, um, what's the business propositions and the business values that we're creating. Especially in an innovative environment, an innovative product usually have unique features. So um, compared to the conventional financial products or any conventional products. Um, so it could, the differences could be on the feature itself, on delivery channel, on the customer segments. Um, that also implies what are the existing set of rules and regulations that we have to comply with. So I mean, understand your products, understand your business, know what you're offering, know, understand your process and the technology is the first step that we have. 
And then the next step in creating this risk framework is to establish your senior management's buy-in because um, when it comes to risk management, tone of the top is extremely important um, regardless of whether you're a virtual bank or uh, an incumbent bank. This is uh, basically a number one rule on a successful risk management program. Establish the senior management buy-in starting from the board of directors level, um, setting the risk appetite that is uh, that is fit for the organization, um, having all the policies and standards being approved by them. Yeah, so basically a strong governance could steer all the digital delivery risks against some all the headwinds and uncertainties because it is an environment that we may not know about everything, so that having a set of clear management directives is important. After knowing your environment, after having a senior management buy-in, then it's about time to set the clear rules um, and guiding principles within your organization. So it's a time that we uh, we make references to some internationally recognized frameworks such as uh, COVID or the US NIST, uh, which are basically the, the golden principles as to how what we should follow. And we also have to respect the local or applicable rules and regulations that in the locations that we operate in so that it is important that we have a golden set of uh, risk and control libraries that also that supports the policies and standards that has been approved by the board so that it's also communicated to the process owners um, and the IT system owners so that it is clear to everybody within the organization. So I mean having all these um, design level guiding principles, then um, it's about time for us to utilize the what we have in the regulatory environment. Just to begin with, it's not like all the fintechs uh, hate regulations. Um, actually, I do see regulations as a good uh, springboard for people to, for the organizations to propel to just yet another level. Like I previously mentioned, there has been regulatory reforms or progressive regulations that has been in place throughout the years, um, basically to embrace the changes and to promote innovations. So, for example, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, Hong Kong MA, um, like the Monetary Authority of Singapore, MAS, um, say the UK uh, Financial Conduct Authority, so the FCA. So all these, um, and, and also quite a few number of uh, regulators as well, all of these do offer fintech sandbox environment for the fintech to just try to test their products in a production environment, but in a controlled manner. Um, yeah, so that is basically aligned to the next step that I would have, which is to uh, have an agile ways of working. Because say, for example, in a fintech sandbox environment is where you can test your new products in a controlled set of population. That is also fulfilling the spirit of Agile delivery, which is you make small incremental changes to your uh, to your test products and make it a, a workable product at the end. So basically, you for the new products, it can it, there will be iterative improvements done in every sprint cycle, so that for every new product, if we have to fail, we start small and fail fast. So with that, um, that continuous improvement is in place. Um, so that's exactly how. It's not just a new product can be built successfully, but then we can, throughout this process, is also how we can integrate all the cybersecurity and technology controls in there. It's just like, for example, we started integrating some 
controls elements in there and then you can improve it and then test it and make sure it's operating effectively at the end when we are launching the product. Yeah. So I mean, with all these products in here, then we also have to do recent control assessments based on different delivery phases. It's um, based on the controls that we have, uh, the control library that we have. So depending on which delivery phase that we are, if we're in a new um, product discovery phase, then some of the controls could be relaxed. So we call them the desirable controls, but then some of the controls will still be mandatory, say customer data protection, so data encryption must be in place. But then when we're coming closer to a product launch, then some of the other desirable controls might become mandatory, say uh, some of the resilience controls within there. And last but not least, it is to cultivate the cyber-aware and risk-aware culture, like I mentioned, which is extremely important because risk management is everybody's responsibility. Yeah. Wow, that, that's all great information. You mentioned uh, regulations, and I want to expand on that a little bit of are the regulations and the regulatory expectations different in this new arena? And if so, how, how do you manage those expectations? Um, yeah, it's, it's actually a great question. Like um, I've just mentioned, not all fintech case regulation is good springboard to just make things forward. Yeah, but then for a virtual bank environment, it's actually subjected to more regulatory scrutiny as a whole. It's based on the fact that we have to comply with the existing sets of rules and regulations, but then it's because it's a new product, it's like uh, we attract a lot of attention, not just only from the regulator, but also from our customers and from the media and also our cyber criminals. So that we are subjected to a lot of regulatory scrutiny. Say, for example, in the Hong Kong MA, Hong Kong Monetary Authority, they have a cyber fortification initiative. So um, under that, they are under the Cyber Resilience Assessment Framework, which, uh, which we usually refer that as CRAF. Um, so virtual banks and all the DZIPs, so basically DZIP stands for Domestic uh, Systematically Important Banks. So basically they are huge. Um, so all the virtual banks and DZIPs are assumed to have a high level of inherent risk when it comes to cybersecurity risks. The reason for that is that uh, virtual banks are usually the early adopters of new technology, cloud technologies, and there's a lot of innovation. And like I've mentioned, um, being online is the only channel to provide banking services and communications with their customers. So the overall complexity is higher and then the risk is higher. And based on the same fortification, uh, cyber fortification initiative, and all these three lines of defense, um, cyber professionals are also required to maintain their professional qualifications and their CPU requirements is actually written in the in the regulators' um, initiative. So that, uh, say for example, like the ISACA qualification on CISAR and CISM, um, and to name but a few, and they're all named called out in this initiative. So that for uh, cyber cyber risk managers like us, like myself, um, I will have to maintain it and have to fulfill all the CPU requirements. And I've touched on the sandbox already. Um, yeah, so I mean, uh, it's, it's a suite of regulatory scrutiny that, that we have, and but then the regulators is also making more progressive regulations um, and also more initiatives just to bring innovations and security all in one place. Awesome. So what is the engagement model and tools used to drive a risk-aware culture? I've mentioned like a cyber or risk-aware culture. That is um, everybody's responsibility. 
and toilet talk is very important. First of all, like I mentioned, we have to establish the senior management's buys in because toilet talk is important. So it's for the, uh, for the regular town halls or the team meetings um, that is being embedded in the senior management's um, communications. And that uh, career objective is also embedded into every single staff's individual's career objective. At the end of the day, you will be evaluated against whether you're, you're, you're having this kind of mindset and you have complied with all our policies and standards. On the point on, on tone at the top, on the virtual bank environment is, is so tech-driven. Um, actually, in the, in the executive committee, i.e. the senior management of the virtual bank, um, usually there will be more than just the CIO in there, but then um, the CISO or uh, basically the chief information security officer. Uh, would also be part of the school members so that there will be a tone on how important the cybersecurity is when it comes to the senior management decisions. Uh, some of the regulators also expect the banks to provide regular cybersecurity updates as well as cybersecurity trainings to our board members as well so that the board is also aware of the, all the cyber developments and the cyber, uh, cyber threats and risks that we're facing and how good we are in terms of maintaining our cyber maturity. So, and um, in some of the, depending on jurisdictions as well, some locations may have to make the senior managers being personally liable for any data breaches or cyber incidents. So, I mean, that is actually a, a push factor coming from the external forces um, that make sure that your tongue at top is there, your senior manager is aware of what they are doing, just the cyber culture is being cultivated in such a way so that it is still um, through our processes where um, some of the controls are embedded into the process, as well as for the fact that every single individual staff are being evaluated against it. Yes, and at the end of the day, because uh, it ties back to your personal performance evaluation, so every staff is being rewarded appropriately uh, when it comes to uh, fulfilling this, this um, metric that we have in terms of the individual career goal as well as for the bank-wide objectives for that particular year. Great. So feel free to go as high level or, or low level as you want on this, but what are some of the most common security risks that tend to be the most problematic for virtual banks? I, I honestly, I don't even know where to start because there's so many, but then, uh, I, I'll just name a few that just comes into my mind right now. Um, I think first of all is the third party risks. I've been laying out since the very beginning of this chat is that we do have a large tech stack and we use a lot of cloud technology and there is a lot of uh, vendors in place. So it is inherent to a lot of the virtual banks. That is why uh, the third party risk is a key risk in here. So for all, uh, vendor due diligence is important as well as having ongoing monitoring process with all these key vendors. And for some of the key vendors that we have, we call them the material vendors. Uh, we also have to inform the regulator of such an outsourcing arrangement, and we have to get the regulatory approval for such an outsourcing. That brings to my second point, which uh, second risk that I think of is on the vulnerability management. Um, so there's nothing really new as such, but then why this is more prevalent to a virtual bank environment is because we have also have to make, the, make our vendors or third parties to be accountable for the patching um, or vulnerability assessment process. Um, like for example, the latest uh, zero day attack that 
basically freaks everyone out is the Log4j vulnerability. Um, so I mean, other than looking inside as to for the virtual bank internal systems is is being appropriately patched, but we also have to make sure that our vendors are also having timely patches in place so that no vulnerability would have been in place for the cyber criminals as such. So the, um, vulnerability management is also always, uh, when it comes to patching, there's also a bit of a human element in there. So that for things like that, there needs to prioritize and have a very clear schedule coming uh, that is aligned to the agile delivery sprint cycle as well. The other risk that I can think of that uh, is more prevalent or prominent to a virtual bank environment is on the cloud security, uh, cloud security configuration, because a lot of our tech stack, again, is on cloud. So that, um, but then having cloud security configuration aligned to the, to the industry best practice requires a lot of the expertise and the experience when it comes to it. So basically having the cloud environment hardening as well as automated um, continuous cloud configuration review is actually part of the key controls that we see as important. And any deviation from such a rule should have an automated set of rules that is also integrated with our SIEM solution so that the alert will be, uh, will be there right away so that uh, the cyber, um, cyber incident respondents could actually go inside and see whether such a misconfiguration is actually uh, would have materialized to, to an attack or vulnerability as such. There are some other risks that I can think of like um, network security, um, admin privileges, which are the existing ones that is applicable to a lot of the technology organizations anyway. Um, but then it's also the same kind of risk that applies to us. Yes, I mean, overall, there's, um, there's no new risk type as such. It's also the cyber risk type, the, the risk taxonomy that we can use. But then it's a bit of a different risk profile that we're facing. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So talking about the vast number of risks you, you just mentioned, how frequently should virtual banks be conducting risk assessments? Um, I think the answer to that is it depends. Um, there's no one direct quick answer to that, but then there are different types of risk assessment that we do in my experience. Um, so there are four types. For one, it is the regular NURCSA that we do. So basically, it's a process-driven risk assessment that we have. Um, so we have to think about, we have the process universe in place, which documents all the processes within our organization. And then we, we have to think, make ourselves think as to what could go wrong in the process. And then what's the inherent risk to that? What's the control that we have? And then what are the key controls, where controls are operating effectively or not? And then therefore, we have the residual risk. So basically, it's an annual revision of this whole set of risk documentation, um, just to make sure that everything is intact. Um, so other than that, we have other more ad hoc uh, risk assessments. Um, so for example, for one, that is the new product, um, because like I mentioned, we do agile delivery, and then we, we're in the growth, uh, follow up the virtual banks or fintechs, we're in the growth stage. So that there is a lot of new products, um, new projects that's being rolled out. Um, so for, for the new products, um, we do have the new product approval process and that's done ad hoc. Um, so circling back a little bit to my previous conversation as to there we have a golden set of rules, uh, the risk and control library 
that has a set of mandatory controls and the desirable controls. Depending on the new product delivery process, if we're still in the sandbox environment, uh, there will be less mandatory controls and there will be there may be some other compensating controls as such. But then when it comes to uh, closer to a product launch to the mass public, then obviously a lot of the controls would have to be in place and become mandatory as such. Um, so that is done ad hoc and that is done continuously against the delivery phase. So it's not like in the past in the waterfall model where you would only do risk assessment when the build is completed and then you realize, oh, oh, I have missed out some kind of control, some controls that I haven't done it. So we minimize this kind of issues uh, through the continuous risk assessment and control assessment process for new products. Besides that, we do sometimes we do uh, rapid risk assessments because after all, we are in a very fast-paced organization. I think it's the same for all the fintechs. Um, so for rapid risk assessment, it's more adjustable to the environment that we're, we're facing. Um, say, for example, in the days that we're having in the pandemic. So nobody would have expected that. And then uh, we, we have to do a rapid risk assessment as to have a, have a quick look as to what kind of controls that we have, whether some kind of some staff uh, fit to work in a remote working arrangement, like whether they can work from home, if they can work from home, then what kind of controls that we have against data leakage pr uh, protection, for example. And if not, then whether we are going to accept the risk or we are going to have a decision, management decision that we may have to slow down or even close some of the operations for a time being. So that is the rapid risk assessment that is more adjustable to the environment that we are facing right now. The last type of risk assessment that we have is more on a read across. So that is basically to see this kind of risk or this kind of events has happened in an other organization, whether it would be uh, happened to our organization as well. So, I mean, there is no direct answer to how often we should do it. But then my short answer is that it depends. But then we should do it as often as possible. But then it's always a light touch one. So it's more aligned to the to the agile delivery process that we have. And then the base uh, tooling that we use is that we have a golden source of truth, which is the risk and control library that integrates all the regulatory requirements as well. So that after each of the risk assessment, as a risk manager myself and my team, we also do retro as to whether we have to update our risk and control library as well, so that it becomes more streamlined, but then it's also fulfilling all the control requirements and the regulatory requirements. So it sounds like it's more of a customization uh, type of scenario as opposed to a one-size-fits-all. Uh, Donald, is there anything else you wanted to talk about today? Um, I think you're basically spot on as to there's no one-size-fits-all, and that's exactly how I would like to conclude all, all, um, all my observations, all my experience in terms of building digital trust in a virtual bank environment, in a new fintech environment, um, because everything is so unique. Um, it's a little bit chaotic, I'm not going to lie. Um, it's a, there's a lot of ambiguity that everybody, no matter if you're in the business, or you're in compliance, or you're in risk, or you're in audit, that you need to figure it out. It's all new technology, new processes, new people, um, and even new products. I mean, so it's, it's right that there's no one size fits all. At the, as a risk manager, um, we have to cultivate, we have to come up with the risk framework that is fit for purpose and that is signed off and endorsed by our senior management 
so as um and then that has to be distilled um as um embedded into process as well as to make everybody to be accountable and have the sense of responsibility that they uh, have a role to play uh, when it comes to protecting the, it's not just the bank, but then protecting your technology environment as well as your products. Risk managers like ourselves, so to me, we have to um, meticulously craft the risk framework um, and prioritize such delivery in a phased manner. It needs a little bit of a craftsmanship in here as well as a risk manager. Um, so I believe with the use of new technology, the latest technology, and the fit-for-purpose uh, framework uh, that is aligned to your organization's objective, I think that is how we can have an environment that is safe and secure that is also embedded into our products as well. Yeah. Wow. Well, we could talk about this stuff for a lot longer. But uh, that's all the time we have left today, Donald. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. If you are interested in learning more, you can click the link in the episode details to access Donald's full Isaka Journal article. Again, I'm Kevin Key, and thank you for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of Page to Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. 